0: Welcome to Let's Talk Careers podcast, where we discuss how education can set you apart from the crowd and elevate your career. If you're looking for support, inspiration, or a reason to not give up, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview individuals who have used their education to reach great heights in their career. We provide real-life examples and encouragement to support students on their career journey. If you're ready to talk careers with us, then stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Careers Podcast. We have a really good episode for you all today. Jarius Curry is our host today, and he's graduating with a BBA entrepreneurship in May of 2022. He recently was awarded the RCB Outstanding Student Award and has managed to maintain a 3.6 GPA in the last four years while being active in several different student engagement organizations on campus. After graduation, he plans to seek a master's degree here at SAU. And today, he's going to be interviewing Ms. Janelle Morrison, who has a wealth of knowledge to share with you all today. Ms. Morrison is the center director of the Arkansas Small Business Technology and Development Center here at SAU, and she'll be sharing vital advice about professionalism and networking coming from an HR background. She's also going to explain the process to entrepreneurship and how her office can help assist students get started. Did I mention that today was going to be a good episode? You don't want to miss it. Tune in.
1: Good afternoon. How are you doing today?
2: Doing well. How are you?
1: I'm great. Do you mind giving me a brief introduction of yourself?
2: Sure. My name is Janelle Morton. I'm the center director for the Southern Arkansas University Arkansas Small Business and Technology Development Center. And my day-to-day duties is is really being a small business consultant.
1: Hmm. I'm, today, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Do you mind? Sure, go ahead. Um, what does a day in your work look like?
2: Every day is different. Now, the tasks do repeat, but every day is different. So, for example, we might have a day where we're doing a training presentation. So that means we're going to somewhere off-site. Sometimes we do them, because of COVID, we have done some online. But typically, we're going to a conference room perhaps maybe at OPED in in Camden. We do a lot there. And so, of course, the day before or two days before, you had to work on your slide presentation, getting all of that put together. But then there's also our day-to-day, the the bulk of the work, which is consulting with clients. So it could be a, a half a day of just doing someone's projections or working on their business plan, or it could be a full day of meeting client after client after client. It's, it's one of the things I like about the job is that every day is different.
1: What would you say is the hardest part about your job?
2: Probably one of the more challenging parts for me, and this is just kind of my, maybe a combination of my personality and the fact that I'm not as tech savvy as some people, but scheduling. It's making sure that I get the best use of every, you know, squeeze the most I can out of every minute of a day. Because when you're traveling, you can, you know, if I plan properly, I can listen to a podcast, get some professional development in while I travel, or I can go see two or three different people at a town or maybe a lender and a client. You know, so trying to make the most use, getting the most value out of my time is definitely one of my Challenges and, and, you know, working into the technology, making sure everything I need to do and want to do shows up on my calendars so nothing gets missed. I spend a lot of time going back and checking a calendar and checking and making sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you might me asking what led to your current position?
2: Well, to be honest, what led to it, I guess we could go back a few years and say that the company I was working and I thought I would retire there. I'd been there 10 years doing accounting and human resources, loved my job. And they got bought out by private equity. Well, when that happened, they started cutting different positions and mine was one that was eventually cut. So I looked for a job of course, outside of that organization, and I found one, and it wasn't a good fit, and so from there, I actually came to Southern Arkansas University working in economic development. I did not even know this office existed at the time, but just being on campus and working with the economic development group, the Golden Triangle Group, um, made me aware of this, and I've had small business experience in my past, and several of the things that I did along my career path, the different jobs, gave me a good wide background of, to be able to step into this role and really be helpful to our small business clients. Gotcha.
1: Um, I want to shift a little minute. I want to shift back to when you was in college and when you graduated. Okay. Um, did you experience any struggles starting your career after
2: college? Okay. So I was a non-traditional student. Right. So the first... When I first got into college, I actually wanted to be in broadcast journalism, so radio, television, broadcast, something similar to what we're doing now. You know, I always always thought I'd like to uh, share information and, and research information and be in front of a camera. And so I started that path and then I got married and that changed the trajectory of my entire career. I did not even finish my associates. I did shift to business degree, but let me tell you, when you're out in the real world and those bills start hitting, you've got you've got to go to work. Well, I didn't give up on the the dream of finishing my degree, but it took me 20 years to get an, uh, my bachelor's degree. I did get an associates in there somewhere around the 11 year mark, but one class at a time, one class at a time, one night class, you know, because we didn't have online classes back then. So when I actually graduated, I was working at the uh, company I said that I thought I would retire at. And um, it, um, you know, it just, it didn't really change anything. I had the piece of paper. Now, I did feel much more accomplished, but there was no promotion for me out of that. There was no um not even a pay raise because of getting that. So I think sometimes we think, okay, let's get that degree. It's going to be more money. But mine was not that case at all. Getting the degree and having to be content with the fact that I got the degree with no financial reward, promotional reward. That was a challenge because I'd worked hard for it. Um, Now it did. And that was part of the reason I pursued it so long is it did help me when I got, When that company got bought and I was out in the workplace looking, you know, out in the marketplace looking for another job, I was very glad I had it then.
1: So let's say a student is looking for a job. What are some of the ways professionalism can help them in those areas?
2: Okay. That's a great question. I actually worked in human resources in a couple of the positions that I had. And so I've interviewed a lot of people in my time. And professionalism can mean a lot of different things. So it can be it can be anything from being confident when you come in. It can be anything from um, knowing what your body language is saying to the other person. It can be um, having a resume that's mistake free. You know that someone has looked over for you. That includes the pertinent, important accomplishments that you've had or educational opportunities that you've succeeded at. The way it can help you is when you do get in front of someone, it can, it can put you up ahead of someone who maybe looked better on paper. So being a well-spoken, because like it or not, when you're in the workplace, you are interacting with other people. Gotcha. And if you cannot interact well with those interviewing you, if you're, you know, uptight and nervous and stiff and, or dismissive or, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word shy because I think sometimes it gets a negative connotation when really it's just someone's not as talkative as someone else. Right. But you've got to be able to interact on a personal level. Now the professionalism in the, on the resumes and the Department of Labor is actually looking at this. Um, for example, when you submit a resume through something like um, Indeed and the person looking for an employee is using keywords, it's not exactly what they call them, but those words, does that resume have these words in it? Knowing what those words are, are they looking for words that are on a college level, reading level? Or are they looking for words, you know, that are on an eighth grade reading level? The professionalism and, and being able to use the higher level words may make it where you pop into a, as a person that's a potentially someone they should hire. So the written is very important as well to get you on the short list for an interview.
1: As a person who's worked in a human resources field, um, what do you think about diversity and inclusion? What are the importance of those two things?
2: i had an experience once on diversity and inclusion where it was my first time to ever be over interviewing and um, interviewing a pool of applicants. And the way we decided to do it was we let the managers look at the applications and decide who they wanted to talk to. And then I was, I just kind of was doing the legwork, arranging the schedules, getting them in. And it wasn't until after all the interviews were over that I noticed that we had only interviewed one type of person. I'm like, well, that's, what's wrong with this picture? That's not Okay. So the next time we went through, a few months later, we went through another hiring process and i it was number one goal. We are going to have diversity when we interview. Now, I'm all for the best candidate, you know, the most qualified candidate, the one who does best interview. I'm all for that person getting the position. But if you don't have diversity in your pool of applicants and people you interview, you'll you'll never have diversity in your workplace. It's very important. As a matter of fact, one of the gentlemen that we hired out of that second group, went, and I just told him, I said, look, you know, maybe he's not qualified on paper, but talk." I, I, I actually had watched him play basketball, and I said, oh, his demeanor on court, let's just talk to him. Let's talk to him. And they, when I walked back in, their jaws were on the table. They were shocked at how, again, he got his opportunity. Right. To get in that, in front of that interview panel panel, and he knocked it out of the park, and, and they hired him. So diversity and inclusion it is so important. Um, I think you get a lot of pushback when you try to um, push push or force the topic at times, or train on the topic. People can be resistant, but they're really until there's a better approach to do it, you just have to keep. You just have to keep working and keep pressing and keep bringing it to light so that people do understand that there's so much value. Because we as people, we naturally, and and this, you can go back into psychological studies, especially when the younger, it tends to be the younger we are. We think everybody thinks like us. Mm -hmm. You know, we think that our way is the only way to do something. And I don't even remember the terminology on that, but it, It takes maturity and growth to realize, hey, there's more than, you know, two plus two is four, just like one plus three is four. Right. And that processes can be improved when they're looked at a different way besides just my way. And that's what's good for the company. And so having diverse opinions and diverse experience, life experiences from the workforce, it only makes the company better.
1: True. Definitely agree. Um, what advice would you give someone pursuing a career path similar to yours?
2: Well, you're going to have to kind of do what I did and just stick to it. Stick to it. No one, well, I say no one. I shouldn't say that. That's a a, a <laughs> definitive type term. But most people don't say, I want to graduate and be a small business advisor. And being a small business advisor does have some benefit you can be maybe more skilled at it with some um, work experience behind you and small business behind you and some exposure and the ability to network things like that behind you. It's not just completing business plans and and projections. So I would say, learn every chance you get, volunteer to take on additional tasks every chance you get at work. There were so many times that I took on additional duties with no additional pay. I didn't go in and say, well, where's my extra pay for doing this? The extra pay was I was going to get to add it to my resume. And guess what? It eventually paid off big time because I love what I do. And if I hadn't. So so the first job I had it was a compliance officer at a bank. The first professional job I had was a compliance officer. And I didn't even know what that was. I'm not sure anybody in the bank really knew what that entailed. But the regulators told them they had to have one, so they put together a job description, and I got the job. Well, eventually it was, okay, now you need an internal auditor. Well, I could have said, look, I, I don't want to do internal audit. I don't like fooling with the numbers. I want to stick over here with the law. But no, I said, okay, well, we'll jump in there and figure it out. Then they said, well, you need a loan review officer. So I started doing, I took that on as well, because I'd gotten more efficient at doing those other tasks as t- as time had gone by. The next thing you knew, I was doing the call report, and not everyone knows what a call report is, but it's something you do quarterly. Banks have to do quarterly and submit it to the FDIC that tells about the health and the condition of the bank. You know, I went from one role to covering four different aspects of banking that led to me getting a job as a loan officer at another institution and becoming a vice president. Had I not said, yes, give it to me. Yes, give it to me. Yes, I'll take it. Did I set myself short on my pay? Perhaps, perhaps. But like I said, in the end, it all it all worked out into a, a career that I absolutely love. So I would say that would be one of the, my suggestions to say yes.
1: Um, to someone who might be watching, have you had any run-ins with entrepreneurs? And could you ex- elaborate or explain a little about that? you don't mind.
2: Okay, so what do you mean by running? Are you talking about conflict or are you talking about...
1: Business owners. Like, have you, like, have you helped people start a business?
2: Before? Oh, absolutely. That's what I do and, on a day-to-day basis.
1: And could you explain that process from start to finish and how how can someone know whether a business will be profitable if it wouldn't be profitable? Okay.
2: So... People come to us at all different stages of their entrepreneurial journey, okay? Some are just kind of exploring, learning the terminology, kind of learning the process. Maybe they don't don't even know for sure what they want to do yet, but they know they want to start their own business. Now, they may come to us with a side hustle that they've already started, and now they're ready to take that leap and make it a legitimate business. They've gotten what we call traction. So they've started building their customer base. Maybe they've gotten several followers on social media. And then they come and say, okay, I'm ready to quit my day job, I think, maybe. And I'm ready to maybe hire people. It's all maybe, maybe, maybes, right? And sometimes we get people that are like, I'm, I'm going to do it and, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, just, I'm ready to leap off and, and chant, take the chance. So the first thing that we do is, is have a conversation, you know, where are you at in this process? And then I always say, Jarius, that the numbers, you have to get into the numbers. So determining what that company might could make, what that business could make, and it needs to be based on reasonable assumptions. So. Say that, hey, everyone's my customer and there's 20,000 people in my area, so that means I'm gonna have 20,000 customers. That's not reasonable. But we can look at things like average ticket price, we can look at the market research and see what's moving in the territory, you look at your competitors, what are they doing, what makes you better than them, what makes you different from them, and you start putting numbers to paper. Because I've never met an entrepreneur yet who says, I want to get started, and I want to hire five people, and in six weeks, I don't want to be able to make payroll. So putting those numbers together, okay, maybe I need to have a little more money put back so that in six weeks, if things don't go perfect, because they never do, I'll be able to pay my employees so that I can keep my employees. And and as you know, from my human resources background, people are very important to me. And people are important to a small business. You don't train someone and get them good at at doing what they do just to turn and say, oh, I can't pay you, so I'm sending you on your way and I'll start over with someone else and, and reinvest all that time and energy to train them. So we do help with explaining the legal steps to starting a business, but that's really just just the starting point. So determining what type of business you want, or business organization. Do you want to be a sole proprietorship? Do you want to be an LLC? We're not attorneys, so we don't give legal advice, but I do give out the Secretary of State's handbooks on those, their publications, so that the client can make the decision for themselves. And then for the two most common ones, which are sole proprietors and LLCs, I can point them in the direction where to go after that. Now, if it's a legal matter or if it's a tax matter, I'm always very clear with the client that they need to speak to a professional a CPA or a business law attorney to get guidance on those. So then the next step, and and every entrepreneur can, there's no right or wrong, okay? Everyone can do it a little differently. For example, someone may say, you know what? I want to start just doing this online to get my traction. But you need to find a way to get traction, Or I just want to do this on weekends to get traction. Or I'm going to set up inside someone else's business so I don't have as much overhead. And I'm going to piggyback or partner with them to help me get my traction. But you're looking for some way to get traction. Well, then if you get traction and you start saying, all right, out of those 20,000 people, I know I've got 2,000 customers because I've been taking care of them for the past year. And this on a smaller scale. So now I know, all right, if I go out on my own and I'm able to get a really good location instead of being inside someone else's, you know, someone else's shop, I'm going to be able to grow. Or if I've been doing it online and now I'm going to open a brick and mortar, or maybe the other way, I've been doing a brick and mortar and I'm ready to do online. You have got some traction. You've learned what your clients, what your customers like. You've learned how much they're willing to spend on the product. You know you're making money because that's always a a big challenge is how do I price my items or my service so that I'm actually making money? Because I've got to cover all this overhead. I've got to pay the rent. I've got to, you know, all these different things that you have to do. So getting some type of traction is always, for a startup, a good a good move and sometimes people, the first thing they're doing is they're buying someone else's business. Well, if you're buying someone else's business, they've got that traction for you. And so we can take those numbers and usually when there's a change in ownership, there's a little bit of a dip in sales while the new person kind of comes in and makes it their own and we project for that. And then part of it is measuring that that um, trajectory. So am I on track? Am I on track with what I thought it would do? Am I doing better? I think one of the common mistakes that I have seen is getting uh, a little bit too excited and investing in something such as spending 5000 6000 $8,000 on a website when you're still in that traction mode. That might not be... The best thing for you. You may need to get a little more capital stuck back, working capital stuck back, and let that big, big fancy website be a year two project and not a month two project. So those are those are some of the things that I talk to my clients about. Is in the end, at the end of the day, it's their business and they can do what they want. But they come to me to get my professional opinion on it. And so those are the type of things we got on. So like I said, I think maybe you can see from that discussion, start to finish, it looks different for every entrepreneur that comes in. There's a basic guideline, but it does look different.
1: So to an aspiring entrepreneur, say he has a one product that he wants to, he wants to start a business with. Let's say that. How does one get the capital? Say I want to go, go to pitch deck competitions and basically pitch my product. How is that process and have you ever have you ever involved been involved with a client that was willing to go pitch deck? And what does that product pro- process look like?
2: Okay, I've done some study on it, but to your question, in South Arkansas if there's a group of angel investors or, you know, anything like that, I have not come across them yet. Now, I have talked to a few chamber directors about, hey, you know, if if some of your members who are approaching retirement and they're not looking to, maybe they don't have the aspirations to start another business they've made some some good money and they're looking to invest in a younger entrepreneur maybe maybe getting that word out and they could invest in some of our younger folks that are here who do have the energy and the dreams and the drive to do things. but again, so go into an angel investor or a group of um, people who are looking to do things invest capital. Um, I have not worked with anyone, but I've done some research to try to be in a position where I can get someone pointed in the right direction, and that pitch deck. The pitch deck and then work in the network. So I think that is something that um, our online age is, has kind of done a disservice to our younger entrepreneurs because if you can't find it online, you get discouraged that it doesn't exist. But a lot of those connections and those opportunities happen at chamber banquets, at school banquets, at going out and mingling and getting to know people, shaking hands, having a little um, one or two minute, I won't necessarily call it an elevator pitch, but being able to say what it is that you want to do. But before you can tell someone in a nutshell what you want to do, you have to know what you want to do. And that's that planning piece. You know, do you need uh, $500,000 or do you need $5,000? What are you going to do with it if you get it? You need to be able to answer those questions on the spot in case someone were to ask you. But then in a pitch deck, the best thing you can do is learn about who you're pitching to. That's one of the best things you can do. What are they looking for? Are they wanting to just get in and get out? What's their, you know, are they more interested in an exit strategy or are they more interested in coming alongside and being a mentor to you? A lot of people have watched, have watched Shark Tank. Now that, you don't have a pitch deck. You don't, they might have one or two things up on a screen, but typically their pitches are more almost like an acting, you know, they're acting something out. But if you go into, you look at the five, kind of the five that are the standard sharks. Each of them kind of has a niche. And if you go in, knowing which one you're hoping to partner with, you need to study up on that person and know what's important to them, what type of deals they've been interested in in the past. And don't wait to the last slide to to hook them. You know, on that second or third slide, you need to be, throwing out that piece of information that you know is going to catch their attention. So it's it's putting together a, a good slide deck, good pitch deck.
1: Got you. And I see you you hinted the topic of mentor mm-hmm. um, over the course of your career. How have you had a mentor and how has that mentor led you to where you are now?
2: I would say that for a little while I did have a mentor and that was, and actually had a couple. When I first got in human resources, we had a consultant who was working with our management group there at the plant that I worked at and I don't know. How she kind of became my mentor, I don't know if management said, hey, go mentor her or if she said, hey, I think she could step into this role. May I mentor her? But she was very encouraging, and I think that's important in a mentor, to have someone who's got a you-can-do-it attitude instead of having someone who's like, yeah, oh, man, I hate I hate what I'm doing. Are you sure you want to get into this, right? (laughs) And she was very, she had very much a can-do attitude. And when it came time and I needed a resume reviewed, she was the first one, of course, I'll review it for you. So having having a mentor who's willing to on the spot drop what they're doing, and, and maybe not quite on the spot, but basically be available to you, be accessible to you, and she was. Well, then I also ended up with another mentor, and he was getting close to retirement, and he had worked for the company for a long time out of a different site because it was an international company, and they were looking to make our processes the same as the corporate processes for everyone, so they needed some standardization. And instead of leaving me on my own out there to just try to read, 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 and implement them... I could call him and I could say, Okay, this is very different here. How would you suggest I present this to our employees so that there's buy in? And so he was an you know, he was a colleague, he was a um a peer of mine, but he became a mentor. And to this day if I picked up the phone and called him and said, Hey, have you ever had this situation and and explained the situation, I know he would answer my questions, but I do think that mentors can, can kind of come and go depending on where you are. So don't expect one mentor to be able to take you from, from graduation all the way to retirement. You're going to be looking for mentors along the way, and those are folks who are respected in their fields and who are willing to, um, to be of a help to someone.
1: Um, what is a common myth about your job or field or
2: expertise? (laughs) Okay, this one makes me laugh because Florence, who works in my office, and Kristen, who was here before, we always kind of get a a chuckle out of this. A lot of our clients, it comes across at least to us that they believe that they are our only client. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Last year, at one point in time, I was working with uh, around 60 clients. Now, that is a huge load, as you can imagine, and we had already, we've already talked about trying to schedule and, and get the work done and be efficient. So, thankfully, people from my network in Little Rock, they kind of pitched in and, and helped carry some of that load, but I don't just have one client. And it's like I, I do tell them, look, if I'm in a meeting with another client, I'm not sitting by the phone. And I'm not going to answer it. So we try to set expectations. You know, email me, I'll get back to you by the end of the day. But yeah, we we have sev- several clients a piece that we're working with, and while I would love to be able to just drop what I'm doing and take every call that comes in and and put everyone on the front burner, it just doesn't happen that way.
1: And how how does somebody contact you or get the chance to work with you?
2: Okay, well, that's pretty easy. They can call us at eight seven zero two three five five zero three three. and then once once you call us, make contact with us, we can email the registration link. Our services are they're free. They're confidential. We work with the SBA and SAU. That's who pays our salaries and our operating expenses. And I tell people whether I've got one client or a thousand clients, that doesn't change my rate of pay. So jump in there. If you need assistance, reach out to us. We are also, we have a um, state website and we're listed on that. It's www.asbtdc. .org. And yes, I know that's long, it's kind of like alphabet soup, but that, it stands for Arkansas Small Business and Technology Development Center. So you can go on there and you can actually click and register for services and, and it sends me an email and I'll reach back out to you to schedule a time. I've, I've actually had, in students especially, if students want to just pop in, um, I can meet you in the front office if I'm not with someone and take down your name and email address and get that registration link link to you so that we can start that client relationship with you so let's say if a
1: student is from texas and he wanted to work with you but obviously you're based out of arkansas could that student still work with you even though he's from dallas or houston whatever the case may be great question
2: yes they can there does come a point though if they're looking to open that business in say dallas that it's going to be to their advantage to reach out to the SBDC that covers that territory. Because part of what I do is I visit with my lenders. I visit with my mayors. I visit with the economic development people here in South Arkansas and the nine counties that we serve. They do the same thing. So if you're looking to do something in Dallas, they're going to know, are there any grant programs available? Who should you, is this bank interested in that type of a project or this type of a project? Who's got property for sale? Who is looking to uh, maybe lease a property, which would be better for your project? So I'll definitely... We'll sit down and visit with someone and get them started. But I'm always going to refer you back to that home SBDC if that's where. Now, if you're going to say you're, you're a student here, you're in your second year and you have apartment that you live in off campus and you want to start uh, some type of a consulting business. Say you're really good with uh, writing lessons. Let's say you're on the radio team and you want to start teaching writing lessons and you want to do it legitimately and, you know, claim your income and and all this type of thing like you're supposed to and hopefully grow it into a full-blown writing school down the line, you would establish that in Arkansas if that's where your lessons are going to be and you're currently living in Arkansas. So just because you're from Texas originally, would not preclude that from taking place in Arkansas. Now, if you say, all right, well, as soon as I graduate, I plan to move my business out into Texas, but I want to keep doing it. That might be a little different conversation. I have to do a little research what Texas law, and that might take a little different personality there, that situation. But, yes, it doesn't matter where you came to SAU from. Don't let that keep you from coming in and talking to us
1: got you well it was great getting to know you and definitely definitely look forward to getting to meet to meet you more and that concludes it um
2: thank you well thank you for having me i've enjoyed visiting with you and i hope some of these tips can be helpful to your audience
1: definitely thank you
2: Alrighty.